0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the First Take Podcast. This week, we discuss ongoing controversy around the FDA's approval of Aduhelm and Eli Lilly's decision to submit its own Alzheimer's disease treatment for accelerated approval. We take a closer look at Intellia Therapeutics' pivot into CAR-T, discuss Big Pharma's recent in-licensing deals, and get the expert view on a potential new treatment for depression. So the FDA announced its decision to approve Biogen's aduhelm uh, about three weeks ago now. But that um, controversial decision uh, continues to prompt uh, lots of debate and discussion. And things have kind of developed this week um, with two major sort of events, really. Um, Right at the beginning of the week, the FDA published some internal documents um sort of showing uh a road map of how it came to the decision to approve aduhelm um, and presumably those being designed to um to maybe curb some of the criticism that the agency has faced and then i guess much more significantly um we learned earlier today that eli Lilly has said that it um, will file its um similar um, Alzheimer's disease drug, which is called donanemab, um, with the FDA for approval under the accelerated approval pathway, which is one of the controversies relating to aduhelm. That that pathway was used to approve Biogen's drug. Um, Michael, you've kind of become the resident first word expert on um, aduhelm. Uh, what do you make of? You know these these events this week. Um, I guess specifically the the announcement today from Eli Lilly.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to to dig into here. Um, the um, from the Lilly news perspective, it's interesting because you know we've had this whole hubbub for the last whatever two weeks about Adjuvem and. Uh, it's going to bankrupt the system, and uh, it's, you know, totally change the FDA's, you know, standard for uh, Alzheimer's drugs. Um, on the one hand, the Lilly News changes things from the financial perspective, because if, if this denanomab gets on the market in the next, say, year or two, probably two years, that, that would really change things quite a bit, because, you know, Biogen's Drug, they're they're suggesting people take this for you know eight to ten years, which is the normal course, or I guess the average course of the disease for Alzheimer's disease. Lilly it has a finite dosing schedule, which would be a huge differentiating factor, and would certainly cut down the cost significantly for a drug like this. So that's probably why Biogen's share price took a little bit of a hit today. I think they're down five or six percent at the moment. Um but you know, I don't know even where, where to start with this because Lily has done a phase two trial that is, you know, far smaller than the study that the two studies that Biogen and ASI have done with um, athellm at now, uh, the emerge and engage studies, but it was a very well-run study. There were no controversies with it. the the data were clear that it does what, um, we hope uh, an anti-amyloid beta uh, antibody would do, and it—you and it, know—cleared plaque. It had an impact, apparently or seemingly had an impact on cognitive and functional measures. So this—it just seems like it's—it's it's a drug that uh, does what we hope adjuhom does, and there's actually sort of more solid evidence that it's doing it, but it's from a small phase two trial, and that's it. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting situation, uh, and uh, again, it's going to raise more questions about, you know, FDA's standards for for Alzheimer's drugs and everything like that. So it's it's an interesting situation.
0: Because obviously, one of the interesting things was when Eli Lilly first announced this data for their drug. I think it was in January. Lots of investors um, and analysts were were asking the question of whether this data would be enough for them to submit it to the FDA. And the answer at the time was no. And obviously one of the most significant things is is the fact that in the past couple of weeks with the FDA choosing to approve Aduhelm with the accelerated approval pathway, which it hadn't previously been considering, that seems to be something that we've learned from these internal documents. That decision has now obviously prompted Eli Lilly to, 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 to change their minds. And, and I guess, you know, one argument is they haven't really got anything to lose by, by making that choice, I guess.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And, and it's hard. FDA has painted themselves into a corner in a certain respect by approving Adjuhelm based on this, you know, surrogate marker. And And Eli Lilly has this I mean, they have a, a, a clear argument to be made that, yeah, well, if you're going to accept this marker, we've shown that we almost, uh, you know, categorically have an impact on this marker, and it, you know, the the functional and cognitive measurements are going in the right direction as well. So, if you're going to approve this adjuvant, then why would you not approve ours? It's they have a strong argument, and you know, it's it's just a, a new, a new brave new world, I guess, is what we're living in now. Well, exactly. Yeah, and, sorry, Becky. Go on.
2: Yeah, I, I was just going to add in that you know, speaking of that that brave new world, I found it. I find it very interesting this week how um, FDA and Biogen have sort of taken you know the opposite tax that one might expect to see in um, you know this this post approval landscape, where um, we have the FDA, you know. Uh, Writing an op-ed in the Washington Post, you know, defending, yes, we were, in fact, you know, correct to give the broad label to this drug, Um, you know, everything's okay. We totally meant to do this. While, on the other hand, Biogen has to put out a statement that sort of leans on you know, okay, yes, we have this broad approval, but we only studied it in these early stage patients, kind of leaning into all these points about how they don't expect super broad uptake, um, which is of course, generally exactly the opposite of what one expects to see um, after an approval as, you know, a company will be telling all their investors, you know, about these, their grand plans for, you um, billions in revenue and broad uptake. And here Biogen is having to sort of actively play this down because of how strong the blowback has been.
0: And I think also it's worth noting, and I'm sure that there's been a lot of market research done into this, but you know, the the, the physician surveys that, that we've run, for example, they do indicate that there will be, you know, the vast majority of the use, um, even with that broad label will occur um, in that subset of patients where where the the drug was studied, which you know makes sense. Obviously, we, we've spoken previously about there's going to be a huge amount of of demand for the product. Um, so yeah, but it's 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 fascinating to see what happens next. Um, I mean, based on a bit of the commentary I've read today, um, I think maybe that the Lilly drug has a chance of, of coming to market in early 2023. I guess, Michael, the other thing being is that they can file on these these phase two data, but I guess they're going to have some phase three data by that point that they can kind of supplement their application with.
1: Yeah, I believe it's actually another phase two, but it's a larger phase two. Okay, Uh, I think they're sort of crafting it as a pivotal phase two. So maybe they'll just, you know, when we talk about phase two, phase three these days, it's sort of nomenclature. Um, and just that so, you know, it's going to be a larger study and perhaps they will have some stronger data to support it. And if so, again, that just sort of supports their case that, you know, FDA, they're going to have a, a tough time not approving it unless there's some sort of surprise in the in the data um, or in the, the larger study that they're about to get going. So yep.
0: it's interesting, though, isn't it? It's interesting, you know, you know, smaller study. Um we're talking about surrogate endpoints. Obviously one of the other controversies is the FDA sort of choosing to approve Adihelm on the the basis that the reduction in beta amyloid plaques is likely, you know, to have an effect on on improving cognition. I mean, it it all points to the field of Alzheimer's disease specifically becoming um, much more like the FDA's approach to to approving new cancer therapies, which I, I believe is is something that was also kind of referenced um, in part in some of those documents that the agency uh, published at the start of the week. Um, Moving on, um, Becky, I know you've been looking into this, Um, Intellia Therapeutics, uh, which is a a biotech company, which is known for its gene editing work, um, they've announced uh, they're creating a new company this week Um, with another player I think they've got some significant funding and they're moving into the car t space Uh, can you tell us a bit more I know that details are relatively kind of sparse at the moment but can you tell us a bit more about you know what they're sort of hoping to do what they're kind of hoping to change and that type of thing
2: yeah yeah Um, so uh, I guess the uh, the important background context here um for Intelia. So Intelia was one of this, you know, sort of um original uh, cohort of CRISPR Cas9 gene editing companies back in um 2014-ish. Um I forget the exact year. Um and they have they're also have been sort of uh defined by the various delays that they've had to. Um, getting out uh, clinical data with their uh, gene editing platform. Um, So uh, the the big milestone for the company is that they are actually expecting their very first clinical data ever um, on Monday, if I have my date right, um, from an in vivo CRISPR-edited therapeutic for uh, uh, antitrypsin deficiency. Um, So, it's, you know, that's a very exciting milestone for them, but it also um, sort of, you know, might raise some eyebrows in terms of their timing for Intelia to say that, you know, now is the time where we want to really up our investment into a, you know, very different modality, still using their their CRISPR-Cas9 platform. but really upping their investments into uh, CAR T. Um, So in this case with their, you know, as yet unnamed uh, new code that's being launched, these are going to be um, allogeneic uh, TCRs across some some, um, undisclosed uh, indications in oncology um the funding for this is substantial they have uh blackrock on board with 250 million um but it's there's sort of an implied equal investment um across the three companies involved in this new venture uh that's you know assume that we have you know a 750 total valuation which is you know not insignificant even in the cell therapy space um and uh, as you as you've mentioned, Simon, the uh, the details on the actual technology um, are a little um, you know <laughs> leave everyone guessing a little bit. Um, but what Intellia has really leaned into um, is that they're going to have a a novel mechanism for uh, improving the persistence of these allogeneic therapies um and this has been the big um the big question mark for the allergenic field in general is you know can they make their responses last long enough to compete with the autologous competitors um so while we don't know precisely how they're doing it um uh, intelli is saying that they have you know a mechanism that is sort of distinct from the competition in the field to, you know, make their uh, T cells last longer. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Okay. I mean, I guess it's worth just mentioning for those who've who've got a kind of a passing knowledge of the CAR T space. Obviously, we've we've seen a handful of um, uh, we've seen a handful of CAR T's already approved. um, But there are kind of, um, there are sort of Commercial and logistical challenges with those products that require uh, patient cells to be removed and manipulated and reinfused and all that type of process. And and w- is it fair to say, Becky, that in terms of the allogeneic um, sort of CAR T players that are already out there, do you think there may be in the last couple of years they've progressed with their off-the-shelf CAR Ts as quickly as? maybe they were first suggesting that they would
2: um i i think that i i remember um distinctly 2020 had been cast as sort of you know oh this this is the year for allogeneics with all of these like data readouts that had been expected you know last year of course you know we had a pandemic and you know there's um some rationale you know for in recent history for why those might not quite have um progressed as quickly as one might expect um but yes i i agree in principle that we haven't you know um e- even alleging you know as sort of the uh the market leader um as just in, in terms of having the most advanced candidates um it's very much uh, you know, every time there is a data release, it's more of a uh, oh yes, there is um this candidate isn't broken, you know, this this isn't terrible as opposed to this, yes, this is the validating data set we were looking for. Um so it'll just be, I think, more time to uh get that get that validation we're looking for, which is the trouble when you're when persistence is the um uh the big you know question mark you're trying to get to.
0: Okay. Okay, great. Um, I mean, one of the Car T players, or one of the players who you've who, gone into Car T relatively recently through the acquisition of um, Cellgene, is, is Bristol Myers Squibb. They're one of the companies that I just wanted to look at next quickly. Um, I think it was probably about a week ago now that they announced uh, they were spending um, six hundred and fifty million dollars upfront to in-license an antibody drug conjugate from ACI. Uh, It's called MORAB202. It's an ADC that targets um, folate receptor alpha. And it's in phase one studies for various solid tumors. Um, But I think ovarian cancer may well be the the tumor type that they prioritize for their later stage studies or their registrational studies. as we just mentioned, I mean, this, this deal jumped out to me for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, BMS seems to be kind of all over the place at the moment in terms of different cancer modalities. You know, they're in CAR-T. They're obviously a, a dominant player in the, in the in the checkpoint inhibitor space. And now they're moving uh, into antibody drug conjugates. But this sort of also, um, this deal followed quickly from another deal, again, not an antibody drug conjugate, but GSK paying also over 600 million dollars up front to ITOS for an anti TIGIT antibody again, that was in phase one clinical studies. Um, I think just maybe something for investors and, and obviously you know the industry to watch that seems to, to suddenly be a bit more of an appetite for, for deals. I think which may be um i hopefully is is a sign perhaps of kind of post post pandemic um appetite amongst the big pharma companies
2: yeah i'd say i i would agree particularly you know when we look at um the uh you know outlays the upfront for pain you know for these relatively early stage assets are you know nothing to sneeze at. Um, so I'd say, you know, not only is there, uh, some appetite there, uh, but it looks, you know, quite competitive, you know, in terms of bidding for these assets overall.
0: Yeah. I mean, I certainly think ADCs and, um, and, and anti-Tigit antibodies, they do seem to be two of those, uh, I guess sort of validated, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of appetite there seems to be amongst the big pharma companies to get into those spaces. Um, worth noting that, um, Arcus Therapeutics, uh, announced yesterday, actually, uh, well, they didn't actually really announce any data. They, they, they said that, um, that their own anti tigit was kind of, uh, doing what they expect it to do in a phase two study, I think for non-small cell lung cancer, But lots of people have been watching this announcement because um, Gilead has a a broad R&D alliance with them, but then has the choice to opt into individual assets. And uh, whatever Arcus is saying at the moment, they they, they seem to be kind of staying positive, but it it doesn't look like Gilead is gonna opt into that um, product maybe until later this year, when there's more detailed phase two data Um, And the other thing, I I guess, from a a licensing and a business development perspective is, we learned yesterday um, that GlaxoSmithKline uh, has cut its dividend, uh, which has been on the cards for a while, but is is nevertheless controversial. Um, I think it's only the third time that a big pharma company has cut its dividend in the last 25 years. Uh, So it is quite a big deal. they're also um, scheduled to spin out their consumer health business next year, but also confirmed yesterday that the 20% of that that they will retain as part of the spin-out will be sold off um, as quickly as possible afterwards. So Glaxo is it appears to be really um, looking to kind of raise or free up capital um, to bolster its late-stage pipeline, uh, one of the other things that it did yesterday was announce some pretty aggressive uh, sales forecasts for products that it already has in the late stage pipeline. Um, and it's been talking up in particular, its move into the, um, the long, well, not its move into, but the development of the long acting HIV market. It's obviously, uh, it's an established player in HIV via the, the Vive joint venture that it runs with uh, Shinogi and Pfizer. Um, but GSK, definitely a company that I think is going to be on the lookout for more assets um, as will its partner in that joint venture Pfizer, who we've previously mentioned is, is obviously sitting on a lot of cash as a result of its COVID-19 vaccine, and it too um, plans to sell off uh, its part of that consumer joint venture once it's spun out, uh, we learned yesterday. Um, Michael, I just wanted to finish today talking a bit about um, the depression drug, Zuranilone. Um It's a drug that's been developed by Sage Therapeutics, but also uh, since earlier this year, Biogen, who opted in to co-develop it. Um, I can't remember if we spoke on a previous podcast about the phase three data, but I think it was about a week and a half or two weeks ago, some phase three data read out for this drug. Um, and the drug seems to work, but I think a lot of people were underwhelmed by the, uh, the, the efficacy that it demonstrated. I know you were speaking to a key opinion leader this week, and they had a, a, maybe a slightly more nuanced sort of view on this drug and that it, it, it could be helpful for depression uh, patients if, if, of course, it, it can be approved on the, the current data set.
1: Right, I think he um, was was pretty encouraged by by what he's seen so far with with alone. and not just in this the waterfall study, but also I think he he had a, a sense after the mountain study, which uh, zirandoleone actually did not hit the primary endpoint on last year. Uh, he he thought, you know, if they're going to raise the dosing, I think they can probably get over the line, and here they did. They raised the the dose to from 30 meg to 50 meg and they got over the regulatory threshold anyway for um a, a depression drug on the hamd scores what what investors glommed onto immediately is the fact that it only showed a 1.7 point improvement on hamd scores after adjusting for placebo so you know the street was basically disappointed that it didn't show a, a stronger magnitude of benefit the de- or the KOL that I spoke with he was he was not nearly uh so sort of glom or glum I guess um now use glommed and glum in two sentences in a row but uh you know he wasn't uh, nearly nearly as, as negative on the results as the street seemed to be he thinks you know the the drug seems to work um, obviously, the placebo effect was a little bit larger than they would have liked to see and probably he would have liked to see. But at the same time, he thinks that this is probably just as effective as really any of the antidepressants that they have out there right now than the newer generation. So, um, you know, he's 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 interested in it. He he will use it if it's approved. I think his big question mark with Zoranolone at this point is this, this concept of inter dosing that Biogen and, and Sage have been pushing uh, uh, very hard. So, you know, it's basically like you, you use it for a couple of weeks and then you you get off the drug. Um, and that's that's a new concept, like an entirely new concept in the antidepressant space. So he thinks that's a good thing and a bad thing. He thinks it's a bad thing because he's not convinced this waterfall data should be enough to approve the drug. He thinks another study needs to be done to better understand, you know, how uh, longer term dosing works. Uh, he, he that's what that's what he thinks. He, that's what he would prefer. He's not actually sure that's going to happen. FDA may allow it across the, the finish line. But he, he, you know, if that happens, they're going to need to do more studies. So, so physicians know how to use it. But so that's the, the negative side. On the positive side, he thinks that this is going to basically attract a lot of attention from psychiatrists and, and other KOLs who, who see, the, see the sort of the harder patients, the harder to treat patients, and they think that they're going to, he thinks that they're going to be pretty interested in giving this a shot because uh, it doesn't have a lot of the side effects weight gain, sexual dysfunction, this sort of thing that come with a lot of antidepressants and which hamper their use. So, you know, if the data continue to be sort of clean on the safety side and, you know, no surprises, and it continues to show at least some modest effect, efficacy, he thinks it's gonna be used and used quite a bit um, if it gets over the line or if and when it gets over the line. So I think his overall, his his take was far less, um, negative slash disappointed than a lot of the investors uh, clearly were.